great to be with you today. Thank you for this, this privilege. I won't go as far as Dave goes down the aisle, but I, I'll try to razz you and tease you as much as he does. I, I, I really appreciate the spirit of your community here. I want to share with you a, a three-point message this morning. Point number one has nothing to do with international ministries. The last church I pastored, I moved from Salem, from a church of 275 to 300 on a Sunday morning, to 15 people that were left in Northeast Portland. I watched God work in ways you could not believe. It was the most disastrous and the best career move I could have ever made because I had to trust God. And I watched God work in amazing ways. And you're about to do some of the things that I think are vitally important um, for, for church building and to minister to your community. And one of those things is to remove the pews. Now, I know some of you are married to the pews and you love them, but it's going to open up an opportunity to use this building, this space in ways that you have not even yet dreamed possible yet. We became deeply engaged in the community in Northeast Portland. And God can use this space, that space over there, the stuff you're doing with Catholic Charities. I, I take off my hat and applaud you for that. Do you realize how difficult it is for charitable organizations to get space in a community like San Carlos or in Portland and what, or with a preschool? I think you've got a preschool over there. What you're doing is you're allowing people to care for families from, from birth to the grave. And I just thank you for that. For those people, I, I had a church nurse that we worked, I worked with in Salem when I was there. And we worked with families through, through those transitions of when Alzheimer's hits. A lot of those people never get a break. They never get an opportunity for respite care. And you're providing that by, by, by this space that you're allowing people to rent, probably for way under market value. And some people, well, why shouldn't we get more money? No, just trust God with that stuff and use, use what God's given you here to, to bless the world around you. Thank you for removing the asbestos tile. For the, you know, and I know it's expensive, but you want to remain engaged in the community. And a way to do that is to use what God's given you here to bless the community in which uh, God has placed you. So thank you for that. Thank you for your spirit that you've welcomed me with this morning. You're, you're a wonderful people. And many of you have already teased me and picked on me, and I just, I thank, I thank you for that. You know, I have never met a woman who has Crocs that match every outfit that she wears. And this is, I mean, this is the first for me. You know, I, and I, it's really good. And, and Ben and his story coming, coming out, of, out of Vietnam and, and just re, being reminded that my family adopted a Vietnamese family in the late 60s, early 70s. And it, it changed our lives. It changed my heart because of that, that interaction with beautiful people from another part of, the, part of the world that now are part of our whole family of all of us refugees in the United States and immigrants that live here. And it was so, because all of us are that, whether we want to admit it or not. And it, so it, Thank you for who you are. Just a, a wonderfully diverse group of people that, that Christ loves. So that, that's point number one about the building. Now, let me shift gears to uh, another thing I want to talk to you about, and that's, that's about money. I know Pastor Dave never does, but I've never heard anybody actually say, I'm going to ask four times for an offering. So, <laughs> but I want, to, I want to talk to you about money because Jesus talked more about money than anything else. About a year ago, my 98-year-old uncle died, and I, I went and presided over his service, just a, a great guy. A lot of the family came, and in the years before his death, um, he would give 
$5,000 to all of his nieces and nephews. Another time, I think it was $3,000. And I think the nieces and nephews came thinking, we're probably going to get a gift <laughs> at the end of his life. And so the, the will was read. And my uncle messed with all of us in a great way. And what happened with his money was a small percentage of it went to help children who needed rides to the Shriners Hospital and transportation to get needed medical care so they could have money to be able to get to the hospital to get the care that they need. The rest of his money, except for $20,000, that went to one of his nieces, great nieces, and uh, then to his buddies that helped him, there's a little bit more that went there, went to Oklahoma Baptist University. All of it. I sat there. I said, wow, God, I wonder how you're going to use that. Just mess with all of us. Now, fast forward. Four weeks ago, I was at the attorney's office. My mom is 89 years old. My mom and dad have loved what used to be the American Baptist churches in the West. They were at First Baptist Sacramento. They've served all over the United States and the world um, doing short-term volunteer mission trips, sometimes up to three to four months at a time. They would go after retirement and just go and serve. My mom and dad made a commitment to tithe 10% of their estate. When they wrote their trust many years ago, uh, back in the late 80s, they were very intentional about that commitment on their part. And I, and I would encourage you to think about that. What do you want to tell your kids? With the money that's been given to you, how, what do you want to tell them um, uh, with, as, you, as that's distributed? A tithe is just a place to begin. God wants us to joyfully, generously give. So I'm sitting in the attorney's office. The attorney says to me, and this is the kind of attorney, if you're a child and you have a parent you're working with, the attorney says, now we're going to talk to your mother. We're going to call her up. I said, yep, we're going to call her up. And she said, now... I want you to listen, but also I don't want you to butt in because I'm working now for your mother, not for you. You know, we kids kind of have a vested interest in what happens with our parents' money. We think, oh, it's, it's rightfully ours. And so I'm sitting there, and my mother, she finally gets down to the charitable giving portion, goes through a whole bunch of other pieces of the will, made sure that nobody was there trying to manipulate her in Santa Rosa. I'm going to see her this afternoon to finish up her trust. But what she said to the attorney, now the attorney said, you're giving 10% of your money to a Christian camp. I'm sorry it's not Redwood Glen. It's, but I'm sorry that's not the case, but it's another one where she got in a lot of trouble, but that's another story for another day. This is her form of penance for the trouble she caused. So 5% of her estate was going to that, and 5% is going to international ministries. The lawyer said, is that okay? And my mom at age 89 said, would it be okay if I gave 50% of the money that God has given to me? God, God has been so good to me. I just, I'd like to give 50% of the money God's given to me to God's work around the world. I, that was a tough day on a potential bank account in my life. I didn't care. It doesn't matter. What matters is that my mom, out of the depth of her being, wanted to share in what God is doing around the world. And that's what the invitation is for you in this church, right here in this place. And as you look around the world, how can we bless the world in which God has placed us? 
And I'd encourage you to look at the assets you have. Last year, we sold our home, and uh, we made some money on the sale. At that time, we were able to give $7,500 to International Ministries because we were, we were blessed at that point in time in our lives with some extra money. Sometimes those things happen in our, in our faith journeys where all of a sudden we're blessed in some way. And then how do we respond to God out of, out of that blessing? So I just want to encourage you to think about that. As you look at your facility, there's some, some needs here. You know, you're going to need a new roof pretty soon. You're going to need new gutters. Some, some, some painting needs to be done around here. Uh, one time when I was in Chico, Dolly Skinner was a wonderful woman. She's deceased now. The church had a, actually the same kind of wood on the ceiling, but it was a whole lot higher. And it looked like Noah's Ark turned upside down. And it was built because the 1939 Treasure Island organ was installed up in the front of, from the World's Fair, whatever happened on the island at the time, was installed for so this huge building. We needed a roof. And the church, about 20 years before, had helped Dolly, who was a single mom at that time, put a roof on her house. And she said, Pastor Greg, the church helped me get a roof on my house about 20 years ago. I'd like to put a roof on God's house here in Chico. So listen to your heart. Listen to the nudging of the spirit. For some of you, it may only be $5 you can give. For some, it may be a whole lot more. But just, I'd encourage you to listen and see how God can use what you've been given to bless God's work around the world. So. Now, number three, international ministries. I have the privilege of working for international ministries. There's um, 120 global servants around the world. We make a commitment to work with them, hopefully for a whole career. So they're there for a long time. We have about 2,000 volunteers that go out a year. Uh, I'm hoping and praying that uh, there may be somebody here in the church that are many of you that might want to go and serve. We have a little bit over 200 people right now in the pipeline that are considering becoming global servants. I don't use the word missionary. Usually I call them global servants or development workers because to get a visa into India, for example, if you say you're a missionary, you're not going in you know, or, or into Laos or other places in the world. So we have a variety of kinds of people that aren't necessarily called, called missionaries. Um, we hope to place 15 people each year um, out serving in different places, and I'll, I'll share with you about some of those, those people. Sometimes we wonder where, where in the world is God, and I, I'd say just walking right onto this church, this is a place where God is. As I mentioned, some of the ministries you're doing, being with Pastor Dave, going over to get coffee, watching him interact with the community here, you know, God is here, and I know that uh, the musicians, some of you went over and got stuff after you practiced, and thank you for the practice you do, did this morning. God, God is truly here, and God is present around the world. This, is, uh, this next picture is by the Sea of Galilee. You may have wondered what it looks like. It's a, not as small as I thought as a child from those flannel graphs. It's a pretty good, size, <clears throat> pretty good size piece of real estate out there in a beautiful place. Um, and at a time in Jesus' ministry, this is the, the, what's called the Mount of Temptation. It's a place where they have made a monument to that in, uh, in the Holy Land and uh, went there. And at that time, Jesus faced several temptations in his life um, to turn a stone to bread, to you know, literally throw himself off the, off the temple and be recognized in that way. And he said no, no to all of those. And a few verses later in Scripture, he told us what he really believed life is about and what the importance of his ministry is to uh, bring good news to the afflicted, 
You know, you're doing that here with uh, sharing your space with those who are afflicted, with family members who are suffering from dementia and Alzheimer's. You're bringing good news to them. To, to bind up the brokenhearted. Many of those people are, are brokenhearted because of what they have to deal with. To proclaim liberty to the captives. To proclaim freedom to prisoners. And this is what Jesus was about. And as I think about you as a church and what International Ministries does around the world, these are important words for us to consider because Christ lives in each one of us. Scripture says we're new creations in Christ. Christ, Christ truly lives in us. And um, so as I think about our future together, your future, is that we without God cannot and God without us will not. We are in a relationship with a living God who calls us to go out and we partner with God in amazing and wonderful ways as God works in our life together. Now let me tell you a little bit about International Ministries. First and foremost for us, the most important thing that we are about is inviting people to become disciples of Jesus. Nothing is more important than that, than inviting people into that life-giving relationship in their own context and the ways that God speaks to them as Scripture and the Spirit speaks to their hearts. It might be a totally different style of worship than here. It may be a whole different way of being, but it's a life that's committed to following Jesus and, and knowing, knowing Jesus. And that's what we're committed about, working with our partners around the world and inviting them into relationship, inviting them to be baptized and to know, to know Christ and what, what a life with Jesus Christ means for them. This happens to be a vacation Bible school ministry in the Dominican Republic that happened. And it's actually, I talked with the group last night, and uh, again, Margie, thank you for your hospitality and for everybody that was there. You've got an amazing group of people um, that, that I met with. And the Dominican Republic, they are, they are ready for you there. Cheryl and I just went, uh, my wife, um, right after the first of the year, had an incredible time with our global servants that work there. And God is, God is at work. If you want to see a church that's passionate, go there. These folks have hardly anything, but they have incredible visions and a desire to touch, touch their communities with the, the love of Christ in very, very meaningful ways. So first and foremost, we're committed to uh, being disciples of Jesus. We're also committed at, uh, to uh, education. And education happens in a, a variety of ways around the world. In this particular picture, Ingrid Rodon Roman lives on the northeast end of Panama in a very small village, and she has an after-school program with about 80 children that might otherwise be on the streets, might otherwise be being tricked into prostitution. Just adding value to their lives and changing them. She works with about eight partners there, and together they work with these students, and uh, this, this makes a tremendous difference in their lives. But Ingrid is a career missionary. I have heard from people that are very close to her that uh, she's gone as far as giving a significant portion of her salary to help others have adequate housing. She's, just, uh, she's known literally as a Mother Teresa in that area. It's just a phenomenal servant of Jesus Christ. We're also committed to theological education. There are women in this world that... Uh, are not respected in the church, are not allowed leadership in the church in any ways. I'm glad that you have an elder in the church serving on the board. That's a woman. I met one this morning. I don't know how many more there are, but uh, grateful for that because women have a very important role in the life of the church. 
And in Mexico, particularly down in some of the areas of Mexico, they're not allowed to, um, to preach or to teach or to be in leadership. They're needed in that part of the world. And uh, so through international ministries, we have a, a program set up where women can receive an internet connection, technology, and they're able to receive training in their homes, and they're able to minister to other women in their, in their country in particular, and to make a huge difference for Jesus Christ. In the uh, Dominican Republic, in this picture, uh, these guys are receiving training with Ketley and Vital to become pastors. And uh, Vital was just, I, I sat with him for two and a half hours. Couldn't understand a word because I'm not, I don't speak Spanish, but I could hear their hearts. And they're just so passionate about sharing Christ in their community. So we're committed to theological education. A few years ago in uh, Kikongo, some of you may have heard of Glenn and Rita Chapman many years ago, but the Chapmans have served there, the noise, many families have been way out in the sticks, 12 hours away from the closest grocery store these folks serve. And uh, about three years ago, the pastoral institute there was down to six students left. Glenn and Rita had a vision to change it into a university so the government would uh, support the diplomas so pastors could get teaching credentials. And now they have 80 people, 80 students and their families there learning about agriculture, learning about following Jesus, learning how to be pastors, learning about healthcare matters, learning how to teach literacy in their communities. And there's 80 students now that are at the university learning about Jesus. So, you know, we're, we're committed to that. Sometimes you have to change course midstream. For years, the Pastoral Institute was fine. Glenn, who's on the far left in that picture, just a little side note about him. How, how do you share about Jesus in villages that are so far away from electricity, so far away from any church? How, how do you let them know about Jesus? There's something that the people of the Democratic Republic share in common, and it's not basketball, it's soccer. Almost every village has a soccer field. And so Glenn, one time when he was on a home assignment, asked me to write a grant with him a little over 20 years ago to get a sawmill. The next thing I knew is Glenn was trying to get money for a flying parachute. It's got this big propeller on the back and a parachute that goes up when you take off to help keep it aloft. And so Glenn takes a generator, a sheet, these poles that collapse, a projector, big speaker. He puts that on the back of his flying parachute. Then he gets in and he flies off to these villages. And what does he do there? He shows Charlie Chaplin movies. They're well-received. Movies about health care matters. They're, they're well-received because there's health care matters. He shows the Jesus film. And people come to know Christ. And villages are changed because of that. And often then, someone from that village will come to the university, they get trained to become a pastor, and another church is established in a rural place and the love of Christ is, is shared. So these are the kind of people I get to work with. Can you tell why I might be a little excited? They're pretty, pretty creative and innovative people around the world. Right over the border in Mexico, the first home, safe place, uh, however you want to describe it, for victims of domestic violence. It was created by our, our partners in northern Mexico. We worked with them. Ray and Adalia Scalinger worked. She was a medical doctor. He's an incredibly creative builder, pastor type. 
that created a place for victims of domestic violence. I could tell you story after story of, a, of women and children whose lives have been forever changed by Jesus Christ that have ended up there. This is the closest place you could take a group of eight or ten to and make a tremendous difference on a short-term kind of mission trip. Peace and refuge is very important for us, too, at International Ministries. If you just tell people about Jesus, but don't tell them about how Jesus can make a difference in a life, it's, it's, it's wasted time, really. I mean, just to say, accept Jesus. No, when we accept Jesus, it changes us from that day forward, from, from that day all the way to our death. We're continually becoming new people as, as the Spirit works in our hearts and our lives, like what happened to my mom recently. Just God was still, still at work. And so at the border of um, Hungary, if some of you remember the past history of the last um, six, nine months, that border's been shut down and refugees can't come in. So Larry Stanton, one of our missionaries, said, I'm going to go to the border and I'll serve these people. I'll do everything I can to bless them and remind them that they're, they're loved. And so he goes and distributes food on our behalf and blesses those people, works with the Hungarian Baptists who go along with him. And the Hungarian Baptists are in a very precarious place, but they believe God's calling them to do that because the Hungarian Baptists also have 49 schools that they've been entrusted with by the government and the funding for that. And uh, we're working in partnership with them. In a few months, John and Amanda Good are going to be going to Hungary. And uh, Carmela Jones just went. I was with her just a couple weeks ago. In, in Budapest, and they're going to be working with those schools. In all of those communities, there's not an evangelical church. They're going to be working with those schools and those children in after-school programs so that churches can be planted in those 49 different communities. We also have a very strong commitment to anti-human trafficking in our life together. A little over 30 years ago, one of our global servants was in Thailand as she was going to, to school each day to learn the Thai language, she walked down Pat Pong Avenue where uh, women are in the windows with numbers on them and men from the United States, from Germany, from Japan go on sex tours there and they, they say what number they want. And I'll just leave it at that. Lauren Bethel, one of our global servants, she just could not believe what she was seeing. And now there are six homes in Chiang Mai, north of, of Bangkok, where girls can go and live and learn the language, learn about Jesus' love for them, and not be tricked into prostitution or rescued out of prostitution. There's one other home that we've established there called the House of Love, and it's for young girls that are victims of AIDS because of being in that, that industry. So we, we have a strong belief in anti-human trafficking and working on behalf of that. This happens to be a group I was with in Bulgaria. That evening, this group was going to be going out on the ring road around the city, and they go out every Sunday night and remind the women of, of Jesus' love and care for them and try to work with them. It's primarily gypsy or, or Roma women that are um, enslaved in, the, in that business um, in, in Bulgaria. And so these group, I met with them, shared a word, and they went out and, and served that evening as they will this evening also. In fact, they're, they're out about, about now. As we're here, they're out ministering to those women on the side of the road. We also have a strong commitment to education. We've built um, in partnership with uh, many, many churches that have sent a, trip, a group to Thailand 
these wells. There's over 200 wells that have been put in place in villages in northern Thailand. The people that live in northern Thailand from the Karen, the Kachin, uh, the, the Mien, um, Hmong tribes, they're kind of second-class citizens. In God's realm, they're first-class people. But in a, in a Thai system, they're not, they're, it's kind of looked down upon. But in partnership with our, our global servants there, the man's, there's been over 200 wells put in place. And often a church will take a group, and in a week's time, they'll get a well completed. And then children no longer have to deal with dysentery and those kinds of diseases. So education is important to us. Abundant life development. The guy on the left, Ed Noyes, he's brought in the Congo. People would plant a crop. And can you imagine? So you plant all of this corn, for example. And then you go to harvest it a couple months later, and there's, the ears are all chewed up, and it doesn't look good, and it's just not very fun to eat. Well, the same thing was happening with the manioc that they plant there. They get very little results. He got disease-resistant manioc. Miriam works in literacy, uh, just trying to bring abundant life to people. In Bulgaria, there's a coffee shop being created in, in a church there and down on the ground level in a great neighborhood that will take some of those women on the ring road and uh, they'll be trained on, on how, to, uh, how to work in a different kind of industry. How many of you have a cell phone? In Laos, which is a communist country, we have some development workers that work there. They had a crisis. Has anybody had a crisis in your life? They had to come home for a year. Only one hand on that crisis thing. I want you to know that, Pastor Dave. So. If anybody says to you, I have a problem, they don't have a problem. Yeah, only one person got a problem. But these guys had a, they had a crisis, a health crisis with one of their kids, and they had to come back to the United States. And so Matt said, well, what can I do with that year? Because they work with kids that are on the street. There are literally millions of kids that are trafficked around the world. And Laos is one of the countries. It's one of the five communist countries in the world. So when, when he came home, Matt said, I'm going to learn how to fix cell phones and computers. So he took a year of class during this crisis and learned how to do that. Lori did some work on some therapy that she's working with. And he's gone back now and they're establishing around town these micro-businesses so the kids that they work with, the teenagers, young adults that they've worked with, can learn a skill so they don't have to live on the street and beg anymore. I mean, it's just incredibly exciting that the life change is going to happen in the lives of these young people. Not only do they meet Jesus through the ministry, but they learn a new way how to live life and how to be a blessing in their community. When the Ebola crisis hit Liberia, Krista Engel was one of those healthcare workers that stayed and worked there and was named one of the time people of the year for staying and really putting her life at risk. When South Sudan blew up a few years ago, it was filled with so much hope. Bill and Ann Klemmer stayed there despite the State Department warnings, despite what international ministry said, we're staying. We believe God wants us here. And Bill trained doctors in their refugee camps on how to deal, not, not only doctors, but uh, nurses and other healthcare people. He trained them on how to take care of the kinds of needs that happen when people are packed in, when there's not adequate water, when there's you know, the dysentery, different kinds of issues that people deal with. Bill and Ann stayed and worked with the people there out of love for them. Finally, at International Ministries, we want to equip you to be engaged in mission. So pray about it. There may be somebody this morning here in this very richly varied church that God is prompting in your heart 
to go and serve. There may be someone here. And if that's the case, Pastor Dave knows and the missions people know we have a, a, a workshop, a weekend where you can come and help discern that. It may be that God's prompting you to send a team. Just listen to God. And I can, what I can assure you out of my own experience is your life will never be the same when you go and serve abroad. And God will shape your hearts in ways that you could, could never, never expect. It is truly a privilege for me to be here with, with you all today. I thank you for Christ in you. I thank God for the table that we're about ready to partake of because that's what unites us together and around the world. Today, other sisters and brothers are doing this who love Jesus, and I pray in the days ahead that great and great, great things are happening here as this merger is taking place and that greater things will happen as God continues to work in your hearts and in your life together.